you have your Bible this morning, you open it in the Old Testament to the book of Job. Turn, if you would, to Job chapter 1. Over this past week, as I was sorting and sifting through my notes, I came across some notes in regards to this man by the name of Job. And these notes, reading back through the book itself, it really struck my heart. And really over these last weeks together, I want to talk to you from the life of Job. I want us to walk with Job. But not just walk with Job, but to walk with our God and with our Redeemer. As Job is walking through the trials of life. And I hope that as we do it, that it will be fruitful for you, as it will be fruitful for my heart as well. Let me just say up front, when you read the book of Job, some think to think it is an allegory, but Job is a real story about a real man who lived here on the earth. And in fact, Job, the book of Job, is more than likely the oldest book of the Bible. It covers a time period back in the patriarchal days. As you read through Job, you find that Job and the men that were with him, his friends that come there to be with him, are familiar with the story of Adam. You find that over in chapter 31 and verse 33. And in chapter 12 and verse 15, Job alludes to the story of Noah and the flood. So they have an understanding of who God is. That is clear when you read through the book of Job. That they know God. And all that makes sense when you See what it is that God has to say about this man by the name of Job. That's the most important thing that I want to talk to you about this morning. Is what does God say about you? If God had to give a testimony about you to anyone else, what would he say about you? Because you see, beloved, it's more important what God has to say about you than it is what others would say about you or even what we might say about ourselves. But God makes it very clear what he thinks about Job. If you're there in chapter 1, in verse 1, it opens up this way. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. And that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Beloved, this is what God had to say about Job. In fact, over in verse 8 of chapter 1, the Lord explicitly says this when he's speaking to Satan himself. 
when he brings Job to the attention of Satan. And he says there in verse 8, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Over in chapter 2, look over there for a moment, when the Lord speaks to Satan again on a second occasion. And he says there in verse 3, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Beloved, I want us to explore this testimony of what God has to say about this man by the name of Job. Because this is where it all must begin for any and all of us. It's what is it that God would say about you? What is it that God would say about me? If Satan was there before God, what would God say to him about us as he does here about Job? And there are three things that I, I want you to see here that God is saying about Job that I hope are true of you and that you desire to be true of you as well. And the first one is this, and it is really the most important, is that Job was a man who had a real faith in God. He was a person who had a real faith in God. Beloved, when the Bible, when this, when the book of Job opens up there in verse 1, and God says it in, in verse 8 of chapter 1, and he says it again in chapter 2, verse 3 of the book of Job, when he describes Job as being a blameless man, as being a man who is upright, God is not saying that Job was a innocent man, that he was not a sinful man, but he was saying Job was a believer. By saying that he was blameless and upright, he was saying that Job had standing with him. Notice God referred to him as my servant. My servant Job. To be a servant of God, one must have real faith in God. God had declared him right in his eyes. Now how is that? Well, as you read through the book, you find out that Job was a man who had put his hope and who had put his faith in God. He knew that he was a sinner he knew that all of mankind was sinful. As I said, he makes an allusion over to the story of Adam in chapter 31 and verse 33. Thus he knows that unlike Adam, he knows that he cannot and no man, no woman, no person can actually cover their sins before God. There's nothing a person could do that could cover their sins before God. God and seek the forgiveness of God on their own. 
Job makes an allusion to the story of Noah, which means Job understood that mankind was sinful, but that also God would hold man accountable for his sin, that God brings judgment down for man's sinfulness. But Job also understood that there was hope in God. There was no hope in himself. There was no hope in anyone else. There was only hope in God. And Job understood that there was a Redeemer. And that's where he had put his faith. That's where he had put his hope. That's where he had put his confidence. If you will, for just a moment, turn over to chapter 19 of the book of Job. Turn over to chapter 19. And listen to Job and the words he speaks here in verse 23. He says, Oh, that my words were written, oh, that they were inscribed in a book, that with an iron stylus and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, He will take His stand on the earth. And even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see, and not another. My heart faints within me. Job is a man that is struggling physically at this time. He's going through tremendous heartache. But even in the midst of his heartache, he does not lose his hope in God. And he does not lose his faith in God and God as the Redeemer that even if the ultimate end for him through this trial might be death. Job knows on the other side he's going to see his Redeemer. And that Redeemer is none other than God himself. Job was a man who had faith, real faith in God. And beloved, this is where it must start with all of us. This is where it must start with you. Now we know because we have much more revelation than what Job had. We know that Redeemer is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. That you must put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one who came and lived here on this earth and lived without sin and goes to the cross whereby He takes our sins upon Himself. He bears our burden. He bears our sins. He bears the wrath of God upon Himself, not for His sins, but for our sins. And you must put your faith in Him, knowing that your Redeemer lives. Though your Redeemer came and He lived and He died, He lives again because God raised Him from the dead on the third day and He is glorified and He is now up in heaven and He's at the right hand of the Father and one day He will return. 
But have you put your faith in Him? That is, have you seen yourself the way Job saw himself? As one that was such a sinner at the very core of his heart and his life and the judgment of God was just to come down upon him. He knew he was worthy of God's judgment to come down on him at any moment, at any time. And he knew his only hope was through the mercy of God. But he also knew, beloved, that there was a cost to sin. Job understood there was a cost to sin and that cost was death and that there had to be a sacrifice for our sins. Look there, go back in Job chapter 1. Job's kids would get together and have a a fellowship and have a gathering and a meal and and join with one another. And notice what Job would do. In verse 5, It says, when the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would sin and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Job knew that the way to the forgiveness of God was going to be through sacrifice. Through death. And ultimately, beloved, we know that the sacrifice that brings about the forgiveness of sins is the sacrifice of the Son of God, the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And you must have a true, genuine, real faith in God, faith in Christ. And if you do, if you genuinely have faith in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, then beloved, what God would say about you is that you are blameless and upright. Because it's not because of anything you have done, it will be all because of what Jesus has done. It's all because of Christ. When you put your faith in Christ, the righteousness of Christ is given, credited to you. So that when God looks down at you, He could testify that you are blameless and upright. You see, that's why our salvation is so secure. Because, see, none of it is dependent upon us. It's not dependent upon me. Beloved, if our salvation in any form or shape is dependent upon us, we are all doomed. There's no hope. There is no hope whatsoever. But the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is it's all dependent upon Him. Job understood that. In the limited revelation that he had, he understood. His hope was all in God and the mercy of God and through his Redeemer. So, beloved, Job was a man who had a real faith in God. But there needs to be more to the testimony of our life than that. 
That's the foundation. But we also want to have this said about us that was said about Job. God said that Job was a man who also had a reverential fear of him. He had a reverential fear of God. Remember what he says there. God said of Job there in verse 8, There is no one like him on the earth. He is blameless, upright man, fearing God. That is critical, beloved. That is actually where wisdom begins. Wisdom in your life starts and stays right there with a fear, a reverential fear of God. Job found truth, the truth that he had learned, that he had found. He had found it because of his fear and his reverence for God. Thus for us, we know that fear and we look to understanding who God is from the pages of Scripture, from God's Word. Thus it is incumbent upon all of us to have a healthy fear of God. And you see that in Job that we just read there a moment ago. Whereby Job out of a a reverence and fear of God, knowing that God is holy and God is just, that when his children got through gathering together, he would go and approach God on their behalf just in case some of them had sinned and even just sinned in their hearts. It's not that they did something outward there, but maybe in their heart while they were there, they, they cursed God. They they had a heart of rebellion, some thoughts of rebellion against God. And Job would go and consecrate them before the Lord. Beloved, if you're going to be a wise person in this life, you must have a fear of God. The foolish person does not They live their life as though there is no accountability to God. But the prudent, the wise person lives in light of who God is. And they have a reverence for for Him. Well, this is, this is a, a main thrust of what Job had come to learn. And let me just show you this, how important this is. Turn in the book of Job. Go over to Job chapter 28 for a moment. Because there are a lot of things that we as a part of mankind can discover, can progress in, can do. But the one thing we can't do is find wisdom. And know wisdom and have wisdom unless we have a reverential fear of God. In Job chapter 28, listen to what he says. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place where they refine gold. Iron is taken from the dust and copper is smelted from rock. Man puts an end to darkness and to the farthest limit he searches out the rock and gloom and deep shadow. 
He sinks a shaft far from habitation, forgotten by the foot. They hang and swing to and fro far from men. The earth from it comes food, and underneath it is turned up as fire. Its rocks are the source of sapphires, and its dust contains gold. The path no bird of prey knows, nor has the falcon's eye caught sight of it. The proud beasts have not trodden it, nor has the, the fierce lion passed over it. He puts his hand on the flint. He overturns the mountains at the base. He hews out channels through the rocks, and his eye sees anything precious. He dams up the streams from flowing, and what is hidden he brings out to light. Look at the accomplishments of man. What man can do, what we can discover, the things that we can progress at. But notice what he says in verse 12. But where can wisdom be found? And where's the place of understanding? Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. And the sea says, it is not with me. Pure gold cannot be given in exchange for it, nor can silver be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, precious onyx and sapphire. Gold or glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for articles of fine gold. Coral and crystal are not to be mentioned. And the acquisition of wisdom is above that of pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? And where is the place of understanding? I mean, if we can't turn to any place in the world and the creation and looking at this and trying to find wisdom. We look at all the progress. We can look at all of our technology. We can look at all of our advancements and all the things that we have done. But still, we just don't find true wisdom for life and understanding of this life. Thus as it is hidden, he says, from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the sky. Abaddon and death say, with our ears we have heard a report of it. God understands its way and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he imparted weight to the wind, he meted out the waters by measure. When he set a limit for the rain and a course for the thunderbolt, then he saw it and declared it. He established it and also searched it out. And to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. You see, beloved, it's when we turn to God, the one that is sovereign over this world, sovereign over this creation. He's the one who set the limits. He's the one who set the, the laws that are governing this world. So if we want to have wisdom and understanding about life, then we must turn to God and to God alone. He is the one we look to. Ultimately knowing it all comes from Him. And this Job came to understand. Thus he had a continual fear, reverence for God. And it sustained his life. 
This is why Job, when we see there in chapters 1 and 2, when God is speaking about him, that God speaks about him as being a man of integrity. Why? Because he had a fear of God. Beloved, it's when we, even as believers, lose a little bit of that fear of God, that reverence for God, that we begin to drift and drift into sin and begin to live our life as though there's no need to have a fear of God. Jesus himself said, fear God. Fear what God can do to you, not what others here on this earth can do to you. And even we can see from this text here in Job, if you were to read Job 1 and 2, you would see that you don't even need to fear Satan. You fear God. Why? Because Satan throughout this whole thing in chapters 1 and 2 is all under the sovereign hand of God. He can't do a thing to Job unless God says, I give you permission. And if I give you permission, beloved, and God gives Satan permission to do something, you can't stop it. It's going to happen. But everything that Satan did to Job, it was all under God's permission. And God allowed it to happen. But he didn't allow Satan to go any further than what he said. So we don't have to live in that sense in fear of Satan. If you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you just need to live in reverence and awe and respect and fear of God. He's the one. At the end, beloved, you're not going to have to be held accountable to anything to Satan or to anybody else here on this earth. You're going to have to be before the judgment seat of Christ. He is the one who will evaluate you. He is the one that will evaluate your life and your efforts and all that you've done, even as a believer before Him. You will be held accountable to Him. So have a healthy, reverential fear of God. And know that even this, as we will see when we get into this a little more over the next week or so, that even when God allows Satan or just others to the circumstances of life to touch you, to touch your livelihood, to touch your life, to touch your family, that he can't touch your soul. He can't touch that. That's between you and the Lord. And if you know Christ, he can't touch it. So beloved, touch the one, or have a fear of the one that Jesus says can throw your soul into hell. That's who you fear. That's who you're ultimately accountable to. And that's where you have wisdom. Wisdom to live this life while you're here on this earth. You need to have a sustained reverential fear of God. But thirdly, 
And these really flow together. You must start out with a real faith in God that continues on with a a fear, a reverential fear of God that will then flow into this, that you are a person who has a rigorous fight against sin. If you have a reverential fear of God, it will begin to manifest itself in your life with a rigorous fight against sin. This is what God said about Job. Look again, if you will. There in chapter 1 and verse 8, where God said, There is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God. And he wasn't just fearing God, but from that he was continually turning away from evil, turning away from sin. Beloved, Job was blameless and upright, but he was not a sinless man. Job still dealt and struggled with sin in his life. And he knew there was still potentially sin there in the life of his family, of his children. And Job was one that was interceding on their behalf as well. Job knows that he has a sinful heart. And he had to be continually turning away from evil, turning away from sin. He knew that sin was in him. Sin was all around him. I'll tell you, beloved, if you want to get a good view of the sovereignty of God and the depravity of man, read through the book of Job. Now these guys, his friends, they misunderstood the circumstances Job was going through. But they had a healthy understanding of the sovereignty and the power and the authority and the justice of God and they had a healthy and a right understanding of the depravity of man. And Job did as well. Thus he sought to live his life with integrity, pursuing holiness, turning away from evil, turning away from sin. And that's why when you follow the story, when God speaks to Satan there in verse 8 of chapter 1 and says, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan answered him there in verse 9, well, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now, touch him. Touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. And we see in verse 12 where the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has now is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. And Satan departed from the presence of the Lord and he began to bring these things about against Job. And he did touch his life. He did touch his livelihood. He did touch his family. Job lost all of his children. But notice 
how Job then responds. Verse 20. Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head. He fell to the ground and he worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And verse 22 is very important. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Job didn't sin. Now, beloved, that didn't just happen for Job. That is, it just... He was prepared in this sense that Job, as it said, was a man that was continually turning his heart away from sin, turning and having a fear and a reverence for God. That's why in chapter 2, when Satan comes again before the Lord, and the Lord again brings to Satan's attention Job. That's really intriguing to think about. That It's not Satan that comes up to the Lord and says, hey, let me talk to you about your servant Job. It is God who says to Satan, have you considered him? Why don't you you take a look at him? He comes again. And Job this time says, there. I mean, or Satan says this time in verse 4 of chapter 2, skin for skin. Let me touch him. Let me touch his body. Let me touch his flesh. And then he will curse you to your face. And God said, okay. I'll let you do that. And beloved Job was in a miserable state physically. And we're going to look more at this as time goes on. And we look at some of the things that Job said. I mean, he he is struggling physically. So much so it says there in verse 7 of chapter 2 that Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job and sore bulls from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. This guy is suffering. But notice what we're told. Verse 10. He says again, shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? And in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. How is it that Job could respond this way? How is it his initial response was one of worship? I mean, he just, he has, on the same day, one after the other, someone shows up. And the first guy that's talking says, look, all your oxen, all that you had, it's been destroyed. Another guy shows up and says, other aspects of your livelihood, they're gone. Another guy shows up and says, all your children, they're gone. How is it that Job could hear that? And his heart response was one of worship. Beloved, it's because Job had been a man that was practicing a a trust and a hope in God. He was a man that had been turning his heart away from sin and trusting in God and God alone. That's why even when his body was touched, 
He trusted in God. Now we're going to look and see more than likely next Sunday together a very important lesson from the life of Job. That Job started out strong. But as the days and the weeks and the months go by, Job starts to fade. It starts to get to Job. And it gets to him emotionally. It gets to him physically. It gets to him spiritually. And this man that responds so strong, so well, and not in any way sinful, starts to struggle. And ultimately it will be God that will set him back on the right path. God remained quiet for quite a while. And Job is struggling, wondering what is going on. Eventually, Job does start to struggle because he's saying, what's going on? I'm a blameless, upright man. I fear you, God. I'm turning from evil. I'm doing all the right things. Why in the world? What's going on, Lord? And he even says, I want to have an audience with you. I want to talk to you. I want to share my arguments with you. Why am I facing this? And God remained quiet. And he remained quiet. And then he finally spoke. And when he spoke, you know, Job didn't get the answers he was asking for. He didn't get an answer to all of his questions. And we'll see that God just basically told him, Job, I'm God. And Job realized, you're right. You're God. I'm not. I'm your servant. I will trust you. Because we'll see that God at no point ever tells Job what this is all about. God never mentions to Job, Job, this all started because of a conversation between me and Satan. And I brought you to his attention. God never tells him that. But Job learns. And we're going to see that and how important that is in our life. But for this morning, let me just say this. What would God say about you? Would God, if if somebody came to ask God about you, God say, that is a blameless and upright man or woman. Because they've trusted in my son, Jesus Christ, as their Savior and Lord. And they have a fear of me. And they are fighting against sin because they know who I am. And it's out of a love for me that they have a fear of me. It's out of a love for me that they're fighting against sin. Is that what 
God would say about you? Beloved, if not, first and foremost, if if that's not what he would say, if he would not be able to say, you're blameless and upright because of the righteousness of Christ, then that's where it must start for you this moment, this day, this time, right here, right now. You must repent of your sins and come putting your faith. Call out to God to have mercy upon you and to forgive you and to save you. And put all your hope, your trust in Jesus as your redeemer. But even as a believer, have you drifted in some of your fear of God? Have you drifted in some of your fight against sin? If that's the case, then right here, right now, where you are, you need to repent of that and ask God to so work in your heart and remind you daily that where wisdom for this life starts and continues is with you having a fear of Him. And if you have that fear of Him, it will show up in your fight against sin. So I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer for a moment.